0: What is up, everybody? This is Alex. And this is James, and you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast.
1: Serving up the latest Everton news and stateside views. Let's kick things off. Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in today. We are going to cover the Everton versus Cardiff City match, a post match review. We are going to cover and talk about Sky Sports bias, right? Is it a big five, big six, or big seven? So, In advance, James and I want to apologize for the delay on the post-match. Usually, we try to be right on top of it, but uh, Thanksgiving kind of gets in the way. We like to see family and all that sort of stuff. James, how was your Thanksgiving break? Great Thanksgiving. Saw a lot of good friends that I hadn't
0: seen in a while. Saw family, always good. Uh, Visited with my grandmother today. A lot of stuff going on. So yeah, it was unfortunate we weren't able to hop on the mics immediately after because it was an exciting enough one nil victory for everton but sometimes life gets in the way and at least we got it to you guys before uh, the work week
1: starts exactly that's what's important right we we like to remedy your your work commute hopefully you see it by then and we're really excited one of my favorite things every week is is talking to you about everton James
0: I am right there with you and especially this season the way things have been going uh it's just every week seems like there's a lot more good to talk about than bad and that makes doing this podcast much more enjoyable for sure.
1: Right. So let's get right into lineups. How about that? So Everton were unchanged. And we talked about this. We talked about this last week. We thought that there might be some changes specifically in the front three, but nonetheless, Bernard, Richarlison, and Walcott all started up front. Sigurdsson Gomez were healthy. What'd you think? Was it surprising for you? No, it wasn't surprising.
0: I think, we talked about in our preview that I wanted to see Lookman get a go in in the front three. It didn't happen, but it wasn't necessarily surprising. I almost expected Silva to stick with what's been working, and what's been working well enough has been the front three of Charlison, Bernard, and Walcott. And so, when I saw the team she come out, I thought, okay, that's fine. As long as Lookman gets you know some minutes, has some time to show what he's all about, I'd be I'm okay with that. I'm fine with Walcott starting because he really hasn't been very poor. He just hasn't been lighting it up. And immediately when the game first started within the first few minutes, it was readily apparent how much possession Cardiff were willing to concede. And we were just going to have a lot of the ball. Uh, Our press right from the get-go had them. They didn't know what was going on. They couldn't complete a pass. I saw a statistic that they completed like 51% of their passes which is honestly astonishing for a professional team and it is a real testament to how just aggressive and stifling our presses against especially a weaker team that doesn't have as much quality as Cardiff. I mean, like, like a Cardiff rather.
1: Right. I think that is the perfect word to describe the the overall performance was aggressiveness. And as you said, perfectly Fifty percent of passes completed on Cardiff's side. I want to say that Everton ended with about seventy percent possession, which is ridiculous. That is that is like a Man City stat. Now, obviously, I'm not I'm not I'm not comparing us to Man City, James. Careful, please. careful. <laughs> please lower your voice. I'm I'm not. But all I'm saying is, it's nice to understand or see that we're able to at least play a possession game, right? You know, obviously, a lot of it was passing around the back and shuffling it wide and that sort of thing. But how long has it been since you've seen Everton play a possession game and play it well? So I thought it was overall fantastic tactics. They set up exactly how we thought, right? A flat 4-4-1. They dug in deep and they were really organized, to be fair. Yeah, I give them a lot of credit. They, For the first half especially, they were,
0: frankly, they were excellent in defense. They were very disciplined. They kept their shape really well. They really denied us a lot. Really, anything cohesive with with our front four uh, in the attacking third, and credit to Neil Warnock and their defense. I thought Sol Bamba was very, very, very good. Uh, Didn't let Richarlison have anything in the middle, but at the same time, I think that the the fine margins, those passes in the final third, where you need to put it right on someone's foot or lead them by a yard, those passes just weren't coming off for us, and it was really frustrating because again our back four and our midfield played very well played as well as we've seen them play but then once we get into attacking positions there's n- there's just that lack of we just haven't seen it click it just hasn't clicked and we're seeing players make good runs i thought Theo Walcott made some really good runs but again just unable to find him with passes
1: right we saw really early that for some reason bernard was not on it to uh sorry yesterday his final ball was lacking, and that's to say the least. I mean, he was misplacing some short passes, and we did see that across the board, to be fair. But I think the team kind of recognized that Bernard was having a tough time with it. <clears throat> and by the end, we saw the stats at showing that Everton attacked, I think, like 40-something percent down the right-hand side. We saw Coleman and Walcott get a lot of the ball. And I think that their link-up play is fantastic. I really do. I'm a huge proponent of it. Walcott got in great positions. Naturally, um, when when he was able to kind of split the line, make the run, he actually had a fantastic shot in which Sigurdsson scored off the rebound. I thought it was a good shot. It was just a fantastic save from their keeper. But Bernard specifically was pretty poor, which I hate to say it because he's one of my favorites. Yeah, I agree. It was probably
0: dare I say his worst game in a blue shirt yet. He came on like a little firecracker against Leicester, And since then, it seems like whatever he had in that game, he hasn't had since. Uh, I thought he looked almost afraid in that players are closing down on him and he looks scared to take them on and go past them. And I don't know whether that's if he's lacking confidence in his own pace and his tricks, but but we haven't seen any kind of flare like we did against Leicester, even when he gets the ball out wide in space, almost on the break. Although again, Cardiff got a lot of men behind the ball and we never really had a good chances to counterattack, but he just doesn't look like he wants to take players on. He's always looking for other players to make runs, which is good and something that we want, but we also need our front players or forward players to look to create things for themselves. And I think that's something Richarlison does really well. Most games, again, another player who had very little service, didn't see a lot of the ball, but I don't think Richarlison played well at all today.
1: I think I'm going to agree with you completely. It was, I'm going to make it as a statement. It was Bernard and Richarlison's worst performance in a blue shirt, not to sound dramatic. It was still a one, nil victory. We controlled the Lions share of possession. We had, I believe, eight shots on target, sixteen in total. So it was a good it was a good performance overall. Now, that good performance was mostly highlighted in the midfield, right, James? Yeah. Andre
0: Gomez is magnificent. Some of his dribbles and his ability to fend players off with of his body, just his general technical skill. Is on a different level from anything else that we have in midfield by a long shot. Gilfi Sigurdsson as well had some really neat touches and some good passes, but Gomez, it's he's just a joy to watch. It's so f- refreshing to have that type of ability in midfield. He had a couple. I mean, he would just stuff you wouldn't expect. Like we've seen him, you know, his ability to shield the ball, but he'll have three players closing down on him, and you'd think for any other player, like okay, well, he's going to get closed down. He's going to lose the ball. And somehow the way he just does a little twitch, he does a little flick, he does a little body fake, and then he's somehow in space past all three players is amazing. And there were probably four or five highlight-worthy dribbles from him, always looking to get the ball forward. Uh, Fantastic. And and can't speak highly enough in how important it is that we get him signed on a permanent deal.
1: I agree. We saw... So he was asked about a month ago or so whether or not he would be looking to move permanently to Everton. And his statement was that he was enjoying himself. It was still early, but it was going to be up to Everton whether or not they'd have him essentially. He said it was, you know, it was kind of up to Everton, but that sort of thing. Brands, Marcel Brands and Marco Silva were asked after the match and Marcel Brands essentially said it's up to Gomez whether or not he'd like to stay. Marcus Silva pretty much said the same thing. He said he's fantastic. A player like Gomez is someone that you need to tie down, and I, I can't agree more. And I have quite a few points on Gomez. I'm going to try to make. I'm going to. I'm going to condense him and try to make them short, James. So bear with me. But in terms of the technical ability, because this kind of jumped right out in my mind when you talked about how he's able to knock the ball around, he does it with a swagger that is contagious and it takes a really special player to appreciate central midfield because if you remember watching james mccarthy you you remember him working his socks off or gareth barry for example and you knew that if you did not recognize if, if you didn't if you didn't recognize they were on the pitch then they were doing something right usually as a defensive midfield or a central midfielder if you don't stick out that's good for us now when you look at gomez play you just look at the flair that he brings. And see, usually smaller players are the ones that develop better technical skills. People like Bernard. Rich um, Richardson's not quite small, but and that's because they they can't rely on their physicality. And you see this a lot in the United States. A lot of these players are preferred if they're if if they're stronger, if they're taller. We see that across all American sports. And so that's a huge piece as and reason as to why American players. Don't necessarily build the same technical ability that may be focused on at La Masia with five foot seven Lionel Messi, you know, pumping him with hormones to get his to get his growth up to a staggering five foot seven. Point being, Gomez is is over six foot. He's nice and strong. His physicality is perfect for the Premier League, and yet he brings the Barcelona esque technique. And it's so so rare to have someone with all of those attributes together. And then you and then you add on his. Range of passing. And you're just wondering how Everton coaxed him over here and maybe what we have on Barcelona because the the trio of players that we secured, whether they were permanent or as Gomez on loan, is just magnificent so far. And just alluding
0: back to the status of the loan and kind of certain people pointing out the responsibility lies with certain parties. I think at the end of the day, it's going to come down to us negotiating with Barcelona for a deal because I just don't see a way that he will return to Bar- would want to return to Barcelona and that Barcelona would have him back in their team where he's going to get any realistic amount of playing time. So you'd have to think at the end of the season, we're going to have to make an offer. I'm thinking probably in the region of 30 to 40, and I'm 100% okay with that. Sign him up, do whatever it takes because he's something special and to lock him down for And he's only 25, so he's still got his best years ahead of him. And I'd love to see those be in a blue shirt.
1: I agree. Speaking of some of the Barcelona cohort, how fun was it to watch Yeri, Mina and Patterson get into it all match starting pretty early? Oh, it was amazing. I love the little bit of uh, snide, the little bit of kind of
0: the toughness that Mina brings. And he didn't lose his head. That little altercation was actually nice to see because he kind of He like whispered something in his ear and I'd love to know what he said, (laughs) but it was, it wasn't a headbutt and it wasn't done in such a way where it could even be construed as a headbutt. It got a little chippy, Uh, but you really like to see that, especially because it frustrates the opposition. And I thought Mina was outstanding as well. He looks complete as can be again. We're dealing with a small sample size, but he his willingness to dribble the ball from the back to get forward to attack. We haven't really seen him, win headers in the in the opposition's 18, but winning everything in the air, him and Michael Keane look like a very strong partnership. Michael Keane had a great game again. Although the defense didn't have too much to do into their defensive duties. They did a lot see a lot of the ball because of how much possession Cardiff were willing to give us. And I thought they did a really good job in distribution.
1: Agreed. It was it was also a lot of fun to see yuri Mina dribble forward. And I remember specifically sometime in the second half You know, everyone, everyone got the feeling and you could see it pretty clearly that we had a ton of possession, but the ball wasn't sticking further forward. As you said, the final pass wasn't there. And I saw him specifically run the entire length of the pitch after passing, making a short pass, I think out left. And then he just posted up in the 18 yard box and he was just trying to get another body in there, maybe free up a little bit of space for Charleston and that sort of thing. His attitude is infectious Going back to the little snide piece that you mentioned with Patterson, we are the the dogs of war, or we're trying to get back to that, right? And so you love it. Everyone that we have on the team sheet brings up an amazing attitude. I think Yeri Mina looks so far to be a much better center back than I even thought we we, we signed because he's so young. You know his, his experience is very limited. It's easy to get caught up in a, in a three goal streak for Colombia during the World Cup. But as a defender, he brings a lot of pace. Strength is ridiculous. Aerial ability is is uncanny. And I can't wait to see more. Not to pass on Michael Keane because he had a fantastic game per usual. And I love the fact that he's, he's bounced back because he is easily Everton's most improved player so far. And I can't be more happy for him.
0: You think it's unfair
1: at all to see Kurt Zuma? I
0: mean, he did make a late substitute appearance, but... Do you think that he has an opportunity to get a look back in the team going forward? Or do you think that Mina has shown enough? I mean, barring a serious drop, you think that, I think at this point, it's kind of Mina's spot to lose and Kurt Zuma is going to be our backup.
1: It's a good question. So I have kind of two minds about it. At the end of the day, Zuma is not our center back. Now, anyone that says they don't want him permanently would just be out of their mind because he was fantastic. I mean, he was flawless when he was in the team. You just thought, like, when when he had to sit out for Chelsea and Mina came in, you're just like, no way can this get better. And all of a sudden, Yeri Mina puts in a, a legitimate, official man of the match performance at Chelsea away. Continues it yesterday, and you wonder how is Zuma going to get back in the team. But you realize how many matches we have coming up during the December period, and now central defenders. They're not covering 12 kilometers like some of these midfielders and forwards are, specifically if the forwards are tracking back like we like we do. but they still need rest sometimes. or you know, if, if you've got if you've got kind of a muscular if you're bruised or like have a muscular injury that normally might take four days, well, we don't have four days in December between matches and and recovery and that sort of thing. So I think he's going to get chances this this month. I think a lot of players are gonna get chances this month. But I think he's going to be limited for the rest of the season otherwise because Yuri Amina is just playing too good. I'm with you there. And like you said, Keen and Amina are our
0: our signed players that we have locked down. And I think that that should be the partnership that we consciously focus on developing as we're looking to build a project across multiple seasons. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was the refereeing. What
1: were your thoughts on the refereeing? So I was... That's a good question. <laughs> you open up a lot of emotions. These are good yeah. questions though, James. Yeah. I I initially actually watched this with my grandparents, and we were upset within like the first 10 minutes. It was Arder who had an easy, easy yellow card on Seamus Coleman yeah. really early on. It was called for a foul, no card given. And I can respect refereeing that kind of tries to allow play go on because you set a precedent immediately when you give a yellow card. Whenever that is, you set a precedent. But we saw so many kind of tiffs and that sort of thing that the referee just, I felt he wasn't confident enough to get a handle on things. Now, with all this bashing, I will say, and I have it specifically written in my notes, in the 78th minute, Seamus Coleman got away with a penalty. And I looked over at my grandpa and I said, it's about time Everton gets a no call because... We've seen time and time again this season how many penalties we've given up, random red cards, that sort of thing. Marcial comes to mind immediately, which is super upsetting. So we got away with that. And overall, as I always say, James, you have to create your own luck. If you if you have to rely on luck often to win matches, then you're not where you need to be. I think that's totally fair. I agree that challenge by Arder in the
0: first 10 minutes was certainly a yellow and the ref didn't really seize the opportunity to take control of the game. But overall, I don't think that he was that bad. I guess that might be coming from an Everton perspective. That Seamus Coleman challenge was without question a penalty. But at the same time, it really would have been completely against the run of play and an undeserved Had card been able to score. They would have likely gotten away with a draw and that would have just been undeserved. Not that that's an excuse for not blowing the whistle, but I'm happy to see a call go our way for once, that's for sure. The other major refereeing call was the challenge on Jordan Pickford that, in my opinion, should have been a red card. I don't know what your thoughts were on that.
1: I'm not going to say yes or no to a red card. I don't know, and I don't feel comfortable agreeing or disagreeing. I will say that it was definitely late, and it deserved a yellow. I believe he did get a yellow, right? He did, yeah. Okay, so I I do agree that it absolutely was cardable. And it's just dangerous because you see him. You saw Jordan Pickford kind of land on his shoulder, and then he scorpioned. You know, scorpion is where you kind of land on your on your yeah, yeah. on your like shoulder or head, and your legs kind of kick. Maybe your your heels kind of touch your back or close to it. <laughs> For any listeners that don't know what scorpioning is, you can also look up uh, fail compilation videos. There are plenty. <laughs> but it was just dangerous because I saw that, and I thought immediately. What's going to happen when we have to play December with Stecklenberg? And Stecklenberg, I actually think, is a much better keeper than most people give him credit for. But, I mean, we don't want to go without Jordan if we don't have to. Either way, I think it was cardable for sure. Red card, I don't know. He got a knee to his face by his own teammate. Deserved karma. Got him regardless. I mean,
0: I'm not dead set that it was a red. I think, I don't think it was malicious or necessarily intentional, but the way that Jordan Pickford clearly had won the ball and then gets undercut when he's probably, you know, a foot and a half, two feet in the air, that's a really dangerous position to put a player in. Like you said, he could have easily been injured, very seriously injured, but luckily he got right up and he was right back to it. And that's what we love about Jordan Pickford. Uh, he's very resilient and he has a lot of courage and he's not afraid to go for those types of balls and win them. And I thought he, though he didn't have much to do defensively making saves, I thought his distribution was fantastic uh, yesterday. Whether it's throwing or kicking the ball, teams always have to honor and respect that at any moment he can pick some player out making a run down the opposition flank and then we're on the break. And so that's a really dangerous weapon to have and something that most teams don't have.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's really important too because it keeps people honest. I think as you said, It, it keeps you on your toes knowing that you know, oh, I have Theo Walcott about three yards ahead of me. If Jordan Pickford drills this, which he absolutely can, I I feel very confident in the fact that he can kick almost the length of the pitch. Then is Theo Walcott going to be able to dust me and get get in behind immediately? And we've seen it actually happen plenty of times. I think we saw it with a diagonal run with Richarlison yesterday in which Sol Bamba was just able to clean up. But it's a huge part of the game. And to have that at your disposal is really, really nice. And it's something that most teams cannot say they have. I was going to ask you to close things off with the post-match, who your man of the match was. And I have an idea as to who it is, but I'll humor me. Yeah, Andre
0: Gomez is the most obvious choice. I thought he was spectacular in every respect, but I really think that you could honestly give it to any one of our three midfielders. We didn't even really mention Sigurdsson's goal in any great detail. It wasn't a world-class goal by any stretch. It was a very good example of right place, right time, which is something that Sigurdsson is excellent at. But for me, yeah, Gomez just looked head and shoulders above everyone
1: else yesterday. I'm going to go with Gomez as well. It's an easy choice. And I'm going to shout out Ghana real quick because we also didn't really cover Ghana at all. But Ghana allows Gomez to play the way that he does with his uncanny defensive ability and cover. And so I'm going to give Ghana a close second. I'd love to see the stats because I didn't look up Ghana's stats, but I bet they were pretty impressive in terms of tackles and and passes completed and such.
0: He's really set an outstanding standard Ghana has. He played fantastic yesterday, but it almost didn't raise any eyebrows because that's what we've come to expect from him. And for him to, you know, earn a man of the match performance, it's going to take something. He's going to have to elevate even higher, which again, he leads the Premier League in tackles. And we're leading the Premier League in possession one in the final third. So it just shows how stifling our press has been. Uh, one thing that we didn't mention that I did want to talk about really quickly was Adam ola coming on for Theo Walcott in the 73rd minute. I thought he looked miles ahead of either winger, Barnard and Walcott, just in that short cameo appearance.
1: Lookman, he looked really, really solid when he came on. He got himself in great positions. I think we saw him dribbling towards the keeper two or three times in that span of 15 minutes. He misplaced some short passes, which is is pretty characteristic, but I think that it's not crazy to shout that he could, and then we've been saying this for like three weeks straight, it's not crazy to think that he could get a more important look in the team next week.
0: I don't think that's crazy at all. I think what Lookman shows when he comes on is he looks very hungry in a way that Walcott and Bernard don't because he's not afraid to take players on. We know that Bernard has the technical skills. That's not necessarily Walcott's strength, but Lookman is unafraid to try the tricks, to try the clever, you know, one twos to do those sorts of things that defenses aren't expecting. And it's very unpredictable and hard to defend and teams Cardiff yesterday were giving him a lot of space when he received the ball because they know that in a split second, he could nutmeg them and be by them. And that's the type of fear that you want defenses to feel when we have our offense going forward. And yeah, I think he fully deserves to start in the Derby. We'll obviously get into that over the course of the next week. But I thought he was very good yesterday and continues I think you can attribute some of it to the fact that he's coming on later in games when the defense is already tired and he has the ability with fresh legs to attack them with pace. But at the same time, I am excited to see what he will do when he inevitably gets his deserved start.
1: Yep. And round it off. His technical ability is just really, really nice to see specifically for an English player. We don't necessarily see that technical ability in English players. Obviously, we see Sterling. I mean, he's pretty good. He's obviously very quick. I say pretty good. <laughs> um, he's okay. Yeah, but specifically with our, our English players, you know, you, you don't see the level of, of ability that you see with Lookman and how he's able to just knock the ball around. Specifically, I see him um, nutmegging as Piliqueta, sending Conte the wrong direction and, and getting across in. <laughs> so... That was, that was ridiculous from the Chelsea match. And it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting for sure. But as you said, we'll get into that. So are we ready to close off the post-match with Cardiff City and move on to the big five, the big six, or the big seven?
0: Well, it's the big six. Let's just make that perfectly clear. <laughs> this media agenda, this, this false narrative that it's not a big six. I mean, we want to be included in the conversation, which... I guess now because Man United are now below us, hip, hip, hooray, that you almost have to make it the big seven, but yet somehow media outlets are turning it into the big five, conveniently cutting us out of the picture.
1: It's super annoying because it's deserved. Overall, we've played better than Manchester United have. They've benched Lukaku because he can't cut it at the moment. You know, a a lot of nice Twitter jokes about how he looks overweight and this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, it doesn't make sense to me. Because it shouldn't have anything to do with money or or anything like that. It it was it was the big six until yesterday. Now it's the top five. And I think I think it's just all noise at this point. I saw a tweet that essentially said it best, keep your heads down, do what you need to do, close the gap, and give them something to talk about in May. And this is gonna go, I'm gonna kind of wrap this back around to the Gomez signing. We're going to attempt, there's no question about it. But let's give him a reason to really push for it. We can make a real statement this season I and mean, we think we already have.
0: We've been very unfortunate in a lot of our results, not to have come away with three points or to come away with points at all. And so if you look at the table and look where we are, we could easily be much higher had some other questionable refereeing decisions and some bad luck go the opposite direction. I know it's about create your own luck, but yeah, I agree. It's really just, I'm sure the players don't care about the sky sports slash NBC sports, you know, those types of narratives in the media. I think they're going to get their heads down. I'm sure Marco Silva has set the expectation within the locker room what are what the team's goals are, which I assume are to qualify for Europe. And I think with the way that we've been playing if we can keep it up, we, this has been a recurring theme, but it's still so early. We're only a third of the way through the first season. And look at the progress we've made. We look every signing that we've made this season has come in and looked fantastic, completely fits in. I mean, Bernard, again, struggled, but everyone else has been a real asset. Everyone's been a real asset to the team and improved the team in various different ways. And if we can continue that with further transfers, we're not going to be able to immediately assert ourselves as one of the teams that gets lumped in with the big six, the big clubs. But if we can sustain this type of performance over time, then we just give them no option but to acknowledge how great we've been.
1: I agree. That's well put, James. That's very well put. Thanks so much for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. It is available on all major platforms. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. That would help us out a ton.
0: And follow us on Twitter as well, at USA Toffee Pod. Until next time, come on you blues.